You're listening to the Elephant in the Room property podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment. I can tell you, you want to listen on because it's a bit of a different episode. It's all about wishful thinking. What causes it? What are we scared of? And how can we overcome fear in our lives to make better financial decisions? The thing Mm. around money and wealth and abundance and the secret, you know, really just rammed home, you know, you can have. Because most people think if I just had enough money, I'd Mm. be okay. Mm. But trust me, I know a lot of people who have a lot of wealth who are so miserable and in pain yep. and scared. It's not a guarantee. No. Maybe. Yeah. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Boot Camp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Lorna Patton, a very hard person to put in a box, and I'll explain why in a minute. But this is the episode we've been promising to create for some time, and we're going to focus on wishful thinking and why some people get sucked in by property spruikers, consummate salespeople, and the lure of getting rich quick. I first came across Lorna whilst listening to the Change Room podcast where she provides insights into the way people think and offers a very different perspective, which I'm sure she'll quickly reveal in this interview. Through the study of psychology, philosophy and history, with a particular emphasis on understanding the nature of human being, Lorna has been trained and mentored by an extraordinary range of teachers over the last 35 years in various techniques, modalities and therapies, including holistic counselling, communication skills and group dynamics, metaphysics and NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which if anyone can remember back to episode 37 with Tim Heaviside, he talks about this and he uses it heavily in his preparation for auctions, interestingly enough. In her work, Lorna offers individuals and businesses a range of services, including facilitation, coaching, mentoring workshops and training. Now, recognised, accepted and respected as an expert in helping people create fundamental shifts internally and externally, she rigorously questions the way things are and challenges others to think differently about what's really going on. And we're so excited that you've come to uh, speak with us today, Lorna, and I know that you won't mince words. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Pleasure. It's really wonderful to be here. I love um, any opportunity to to talk, basically. <laughs> <laughs> to win the club. <laughs> so, Lorna, I was, you know, before guests come in, I like to do a bit of research and check people out and, you know, what people do nowadays when they want to research someone, they type their name in Google and, you know, next thing they probably do is look at someone's LinkedIn. And, you know, what was very catching when I looked at your uh, LinkedIn page was, you know, your, your kind of tagline was um, telling the truth that needs to be told. And, you know, that, that to me is pretty powerful. Um, that's what the elephant in the room is. You know, can you tell us a bit more about what you mean by that? Oh, wow. Uh, how long have we got? Where do you start? Uh, <laughs> telling the truth that needs to be told. Um, telling the truth is a really simple thing to do. Mm. And yet most people don't really understand what that is. Because the truth that we don't tell is the emotional truth. The thing, and the thing that I will assert right now about your audience in terms of 
people who are looking to buy a property um, for whatever reason is the thing that will bring them undone is their unexpressed, unresponded to emotions. That's in, in terms of you talk about the elephant in the room. Yep. The elephant in the room certainly is um, that people are unaware that it's the emotion that's mm. driving yep. um, a lot of their decision making. And most of us are literally three years old when it comes to our feelings and emotions. Mm. So and do you I find that many people actually do tell the truth? You know, because a lot of, you know, you know, jobs and professions and, you know, they always skirt around the fences, you know. They don't actually cut through and actually no. say what people needs to be told. And, you know, why, why do you think that's the case? Because people are scared. Mm. People are afraid to feel uncomfortable. They're afraid to feel vulnerable. They're afraid to expose themselves. And, you know, vulnerability is about being exposed. Yeah. And yet anyone who works with people knows that the key thing to creating relationship is connection and connection requires vulnerability. Yeah. So people need to be emotionally vulnerable if they really want to create great outcomes in their life. But most people are scared and we haven't been educated about mm. this. You didn't grow up in a world that said dealing with feelings, understanding feelings, actually getting connected with your feelings was a good thing to do. In fact, mm. if you were brought up in any kind of environment like I was, which was a pretty typical middle-class loving family, one of the things I remember hearing so often, particularly from my father, is it doesn't matter how you feel, you'll do it anyway. Mm. <laughs> I don't care what you feel about that, you'll do as you're told. So mm. we all grew up believing that our feelings were not okay. Mm. And so we just shut down. Yeah, and I guess there's, I mean... I don't really watch The Simpsons, but one of the episodes on there. Uh, How do you know then what's his episode? I don't know. I must, you know it's been long, on for a long time. But, um, you know, you, you don't want to know the truth. You can't handle the truth. And, you know, how do people handle the truth when, you know, you're, you're telling them, you know, things that they really should believe and they should, they need to hear? What I do, I don't believe there's any shoulds in life either. So I'll just make that distinction. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'll do probably through this yeah, whole cool. podcast. Great. That's why you're here. Because <laughs> we should all over ourselves and it really mm. hurts. I say people could, they could become aware. Mm. It's about having a choice. But what I do is I let people know that, and when they come to work with me, people know they're going to get, get the full Megillah from me. You know, mm. it's like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> subtle. As I no said to a client yesterday, I'm not <laughs> subtle. He said, yes, I've noticed. Um, Matt Church used to say I should come with a warning label. Um, but for me, it's about helping people really get the distinction that your feelings are part of what makes you human and they're feelings. They're not facts, but most of us treat how we feel as if it's a fact. Mm. So if I'm feeling unworthy, if I'm feeling not good enough, that's mm. the big one. Mm. Most people think it means I'm not good enough. Mm. So we look at it in terms of the property market, people buying real estate. This will make me good enough if I can get this sale, mm. if, I can, if I can make the sale or if I can buy this property, if yep. I can be seen, that'll mm. make me good enough. And, of course, it doesn't work. Oh, I, I actually feel quite heavy-hearted when I hear a lot of stories, okay, because I know that people have gone into buying property for various reasons, conscious and largely unconscious, and a lot of that not good enough and this will make me better and this makes me successful and I'm looking at trophies and, and acquiring and, and, and uh, many people who go for the quantity versus quality strategy, uh, you know, you can see that they're going for this idea of I want to accelerate, I want to get rich quick. But, I mean, the thing is it's wishful thinking. It's like they suspend their own intellect, they suspend their own critical thought 
they suspend, maybe if they've got any disbelief whatsoever, I don't know, but they are willingly sold to by people that do not have their best interests at heart. So, you know, I just keep saying, I want to do a whole episode on wishful thinking. Why do we do this to ourselves? Well, just looking at that example you gave, I'm looking at, okay, so let's say the salesperson is going to use all their techniques and tricks to convince this person to mm. buy because yeah. they're coming from they're not good enough. And if I can convince this person to buy yep, and I get the sale, then that's going to make me good enough. Mm. So no, they don't have, they don't have the buyer's best interest at heart. They've got their own not good mm. enough stuff running. Mm. But they're meeting not good enough's meeting not good enough. That's really interesting, actually, because I haven't, I haven't really tried to think too much on the other side, you know. Mm. I see the outcome. That decision led to this outcome, and so that was a poor decision. But it's interesting when you flip it on the head and you actually start thinking, well, why is that person even selling in the first place? What's driving them to, you know, self-prioritise okay, their just interests? Let's a little disclaimer here because there are a lot of very, very good real estate agents. We're really targeting here more the spruker, and not to say all real estate agents are good either, but there are – Definitely different types of salespeople who finally hone the art of selling and it's the outcome of the sale that's important, not the the matching of a client's needs or any of that, you know what I mean? So just want to cause that, to create that Look, distinction. We're just but, talking about, I'm just talking about human beings because I believe yeah. if you were born on planet Earth last century, yeah. which applies to most of us, mm. um, the not good enough stuff is your... We've all got Main it. Main thing. We've yeah, all got it. Yeah, and most yeah. people are battling that. Most people aren't even aware that that's what's going on. Mm. But when you've got that going on, I don't care how polished the salesperson is. Mm. Most people, certainly my in the work that I do, one of the things I notice is people have a great reaction to the word sales and selling. Mm. Mm. But it's just about creating relationship. Yeah. Mm. And if if as a salesperson, because I sell, I sell myself and my mm. time and my mm. services, and I used to do exactly what everybody else does out there. I had to get people to say yes because that proved I was good enough. Yeah. I had to get the sale because that proved then that I was worthy. And as I worked through my own and let go of that idea, let go of those beliefs and started to deal with the emotional stuff, now I'm really clear, you know, if, you're, if what it is you're looking for is not what I can offer, I'm really clear about telling you to go away. Beautiful, yeah. As opposed to what I used to do, Mm. 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, yep. is I would convince you that you needed me. Yeah. Mm. But then I would have to spend every single time we met convincing you again to stay. How painful. <laughs> it How is. excruciatingly it is. exhausting. And think about a real estate salesman who's got the sale, got the client on the hook and spends endless hours re-convincing them mm. to stay in it when the finance goes a bit wobbly mm. or there's a bit of an issue with the application mm. or and, and suddenly everyone's inbound on making sure they stay in it and they get you know, they get yeah. the sale. Buyers do the same thing. They'll mm. do anything to be able to acquire the property, even if every, you know, I was just thinking actually, as I said to you before, I wasn't sure I had a Dumbo story, but I was just thinking about a friend of mine who <laughs> was so absolutely out of her mind, literally with stress, that she was going to buy this property no matter what anybody said to yeah. her. Yeah. And it was a complete disaster financially. <laughs> but yeah, to prove mm. that we were wrong, mm. but also to prove that she could. Yeah. And some years later, she went, wow, that was a really expensive personal development mm. workshop. <laughs> Let's just stop on that for a minute. That is a really, really good point that where property is involved, the stakes are higher than normal. And that is a really expensive personal development exercise. I think that's a really fantastic point. So I don't want to cut you off. Keep going. But that, I think that's the purpose of it as well. And that's one of the things I say 
to um, certainly of my own experience and also to the people I work with, my clients. There's no such thing as failure in my world. You know, there's just feedback. Mm. And we have to know what we don't want in order to know what we do want. Mm. So I say to people, if, you, if you've found yourself, you've made a decision out of that lack of emotional awareness, if you've made it out of fear and you find yourself going down the rabbit hole and it's a disaster, then respond to that. But choose again, learn something from it. Mm. Make a different choice next time. Don't do the same thing. I mean, some people just keep repeating that pattern over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, in that scenario, there's so much pressure on that person to buy something, whether it's put on themselves because their version of themselves is they, they feel like they need that to be good enough, I guess, in your words. But it could come from their parents. It could come from the media. It could come from society. It could come from their best friends just bought, and then they feel like they need to buy. And a lot of things that, you know, they're making decisions based on what they the, you know, what other people want. and Making decisions based on their external reality as opposed mm. to the mm. internal reality. And I say to people, if you want to make the most powerful decisions about anything, inside out works, not outside in. Whereas most people are trying to get the outside world to cooperate, get people to behave the right way, get the right bit of property, get the right portfolio, get enough money, get whatever then I'll feel okay. And, mm. of course, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Because more, more, more. And we're seeing that in the world at the moment. Mm. I was just having a chat to someone yesterday about the capitalist paradigm that we live in and how it doesn't matter how much money somebody makes, what we're seeing is more, more, more. Yeah. So this, you know, appalling behaviour that we've seen in this country alone with our financial institutions, I go, that's just a bunch of people trying to... Heal, you're trying to get that wounded child's needs met. Mm. <laughs> That's why they behave badly. That's yep. why they do things that we go, wow, mm. why would you do that? Why would that salesperson convince that person to buy something they're clearly not mm. able to afford, yeah. that they can't really handle? Mm. Why would they do that? And I go, same reason. It's the, I go, it's just the same source reason. Yeah. For everybody. So, so you've done a bit of work around obviously mental illness and mental health. And, you know, I was watching a TV show, which was How Mad Are You? This is on uh, SBS last night. And <laughs> it was really interesting because there's 10 different people and it's all about uh, mental illness and how uh, can you pick who's got mental illnesses, you know, mm. in a group of 10 people. And we'll get three experts to, you know, pick who are the people who have got these mental illnesses. And it started to make me really, you know, think about it and think, you know, are people with, you know, who are struggling, you know, more susceptible to being sold to and do people target people with certain illnesses because it plays on those kind of fear factors? I think certainly there's a measure of that going on. But again, the distinction I'll make is I don't believe it's mental illness. Yeah. I think it's mental emotional illness. Yeah. Because all of our emotions, our uh, all emotion is created first in the mind. Mm. So we think things, we think, we, we have certain thoughts, we put meaning on things and then we feel something. It's interesting because that turning, you know, you often hear that we feel and you can't control your feelings. Well, you can, yeah. actually. Most people mm. don't know how to, though. I'm yeah. not saying it's easy. No, 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 I'm not. Um, I'm it not takes just... a lot of practice. Yeah. But um, we, there's a lot of, there's some autonomic feelings that we have, the fight, flight response, yep. you know, things that happen hormonally that we don't have any cognitive control over. Mm. But all these feelings, the feelings of anger, the feelings of sadness, the mm. feelings of fear, um, you know, the sad, mad, glad, scared feelings, I call them, we absolutely have a way of being able to choose how we want to feel. Mm. But first we've got to get, got to get clear about yeah. how we're thinking, yep. how we're um, interpreting the world, what mm. meaning I'm putting yeah. on everything because that's creating my feelings. So people um, with, 
you know, we label men, we label mental illness as, you know, it's been a big taboo and we don't want to talk mm. about it. I mean, I think most people are mentally ill, mm. tell the truth, yeah. in, in terms of the distinction I've given. Yeah. Um, if, yeah. We, if we want to go there. So what if there's no such thing as illness? It's simply different people have different ways of dealing with the world. And yes, there are certainly um, diagnosed conditions mm -hmm. that require intervention. They require medication like anything else. They are illnesses. But most of what we call mental illness, I think, uh, or a, a lot of what kind of is on the fringe of mental illness, is actually people just not being aware yeah. that they have some control over how they feel. Mm. Most of us, again, have or not been educated. To be able to. Yeah. yeah. Have not been educated, haven't been given a framework that says, A, it's useful. Yeah. As I say to people, feelings have one purpose. They let you know how you feel mm. so you can respond. Mm. <laughs> They're not the truth about you. They're the yeah. truth about your feelings. And, and you can respond differently if you figure out how to do that. Yeah, because this is the thing. It's about what's the truth. You know, and like you're saying, it's the story we tell ourselves and that's framed often by our beliefs, which is often comes from, you know, when we're kids and the stuff that's been hardwired in, in our spot by the time we're seven, I think you've been, yep, well, give by me the time you, yeah, by yeah. the time you're seven. Yeah. Um, and so therefore a level of awareness and investigation as an adult is required, right? So we've already touched on, or we, we have spoken about the potential costs you know, when you get it wrong, when, when this is driving your decision-making around property, the ramifications are monstrous yep. and they can sometimes unravel you forever if you don't do something about it. So therefore the best prevention or the best, was it? The best uh, protection is prevention. Um, what are some of the things that we're not doing in this society? What are some of the things that we can easily do to start just being aware of this and just start that process. And look, I'll put it in right here, right now. Go and listen to the Change Room podcast, by the way, because I actually think that's a great place to start. And so it stops you having to say that. But in a practical sense, the awareness is number one, right? So, so unless people realise that they are not really in control of, of what their decisions are, and the, the, but that they have the potential to become in control of their decisions and their thinking, what's the first step? For me, um you know, in the context of talking about, you know, buying property, say, I would say the single first step for people to take is to pay attention to their own energy in mm. the interaction. Because I say to people all the time, how are you feeling? And most people can't tell me how they're feeling or they yep. don't tell me how they're feeling. They tell me how they judge their feeling. They say, good, bad, not bad, okay, fine, whatever. And I go, what's the emotion? And once people start to go, oh, well, actually, I feel a bit anxious and I also feel a bit excited and I'm also a bit happy. And you go, great, those are feelings. Mm. Mm. So the first thing is to ask yourself how you're feeling. I remember when I bought my um, first property and I was sharing the story with you um, a while ago, Veronica, for me, the thing that was so clear is that I checked inside myself when I first had this idea of buying a property and I went, I knew, I just had a, uh-huh, I can do that. And as I went through the process, I noticed that every now and again, this feeling would come up of, oh, yep. I'm scared. Mm. And I'd go, okay, so what are you scared of? And I'd just respond and breathe. And then I'd go, so is it, are you on track or not? Is this the right decision or not? And every time I got this absolute yes, yep. which led, of course, to me buying my first property. Yeah. 
that it, anxious journey mm. is, you know, and all our, you know, our listeners have probably gone through it and, you know, it is such an emotional journey. And, mm. we, you know, buying property isn't just like a one, buying a T-shirt. You go into a shop, you buy your <laughs> T-shirt, you go to the cash register, you walk out. It's there's a it's a roller coaster. And that's why you do need sometimes, you know, if you can afford a buyer's agent and you can help you, they will help you through that. Because when you do feel that, you go to the buyer's agent and you start asking them questions and, They'll coach you through and say, look, no, what you're feeling is normal. You know, this is the right type of property for you. Go back to your values. Um, and one of the things I always ask clients is, goes, well, how do you feel about this? You know, really do you, you know, is this really the dream home? Or, you know, and sometimes that'll pop up and go, well, it's not, but we want to just buy something. And mm, that that's, then- the, that's the tip, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's like I say to people, if you've got a niggle, yeah. follow the niggle. Yes. Because we step over the niggle. If we have a a really strong reaction, no. Mm. We often pay it's attention. <laughs> but it's the niggle and people who make disastrous decisions because I just want to do it and they know it's not quite right but mm. they're going to do it anyway. Mm. And then the they find out you ignore the niggle at your peril. And I've got a friend who uh, wanted to buy a property and uh, came to me and said, you know, I want some help yep. from you because I'm – I know what I want. I just don't know if it's possible. I said, well, first thing is you've got to choose that it's possible because if you don't think it's possible, guess what? It doesn't matter how many places you look at it, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. So she did some work and, yeah, okay, okay, now I can. I said, right now, just write down your 10 not negotiables, 10 things that are absolutely not negotiable. I said, and then go out there and have a look. So she started. She'd ring me up every now and again going, I'm looking at a property. Would you like to have, come and have a look? And I'd go, how many out of 10 does it tick? And she'd go, <laughs> nine or eight. And I'd go, no, I'm not looking. When you got 10 out of 10, let me know. <laughs> and she rang me one day and she went, oh, 10 out of 10. Oh, that's cool. And I said, cool. So I went and had a look and she said, it's everything I want. Mm. And the price wasn't, but she had chosen the price she wanted to pay. Mm. And I remember looking up at the ceilings and going, oh, wow, I wouldn't buy this place. I wouldn't know the ceilings. <laughs> and she went, that wasn't one of my 10, Lorna. That's one of yours, yeah. <laughs> which was a great. Yeah. What was so cool though, she'd also, one of her 10 was the price. Mm. So when they, you know, she went to negotiate, she just said, look, I'm going to be really upfront with you. This is my absolute maximum. Mm. And they went, okay, done. And she got her place. So it's interesting. Yeah, I love that. And it is interesting too, because there's this, you do feel anxious when you're buying property and that's Mm. normal, right? There's the anxiety because you know, there's a niggle that you're ignoring. And there's the normal anxiety because you're about to sign a bloody mortgage for a million dollars yeah, or more oh, or whatever. Yeah, I, know. I was and, up all night and, vomiting. Yeah, <laughs> making commitment. We settled. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've got all of that. And it's, and it's, so being very conscious of all that is, is important so that you can distinguish between what's a true fear that you should be listening to and what's a normal fear because you're about to do something Absolutely. really Absolutely. So the difference I say is the emotion or the energy in motion in my body, the anxiety is not the same as my knowing. Mm. My knowing isn't emotional. It's just knowing. Mm. It's like, how old are you? I'm 62. I just know that. I don't have an emotion around yeah. it. It's not a feeling. It's just a knowing. Mm. And I say to people, when you know, anchor to your knowing, mm. not to your feeling. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, buying uh, my first property, in fact, buying both of them, um, same, same experience, I knew, as soon as I saw it, I knew it was my property. Mm. Mm. Yes, the anxiety of going through the process. I was aware I was going to feel stuff, yeah. but I kept going back to, yep, knowing, yep, yep, yep. knowing, 
knowing. Yeah, you can really see that because, you know, when someone does buy through that journey, you know, they are less emotional because they have thought about it. They do, they're, they're sure. And they're, mm. they're, you know, when the time it actually gets to, they're, they're actually more, much more relaxed through the process. Yeah. And I have had clients, you know, where, you know, they have rushed it and they have, and they're not sure and they've signed the contract. Now it has turned out to be okay in these scenarios I can think of. You're relying but, on luck. But yeah, you it's are. just not worth the risk, you know, because no. that's where hindsight and you're actually going to get regrets from, isn't it? Mm. Really? When Absolutely. Yeah. Like my first property, I, when I saw it, I knew it was ours. It was going for auction when I wasn't in a position, I was in a position to buy it. I had no finance organized, nothing. So I went to the auction <laughs> just to see what it would sell for. Because I thought, well, it's a great idea. I wanted to buy a duplex with my f- some friends. And uh, it was passed in. I went, oh, okay, it must be ours. And I went, went home and told my best friend about it. And she's like, don't be ridiculous, can't afford it. It's way out of our price range. I said, no, I don't think it will be if we combine our resources, et cetera. And the, a few days later, we went up the road and there it was in the real estate agent's window with a price tag on it, <laughs> which was 20000 more than we had decided we could afford. Mm. I went, there it is, let's go. She's like... No way. And the whole process that we went through, I just knew it was ours. And she kept saying to me, have you organised your finance? I said, no, no, but that's okay. That'll, that'll, that'll happen. Let's just We go. don't advocate that on the elephant in the room. <laughs> no, no, no. And I did go organise my finance and it was all okay. But the really interesting thing was she was running around town looking at endless properties and I only... I only looked at this one. So you had clarity at the outset as to what you wanted. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. We we take our clients through our journey with that. And the very first stage is what we call possibilities. And it is really about educating them as to what the possibilities are and and extending and testing some of their own limitations. Because quite often people will box themselves in a corner because they think they can't afford it or, and sometimes they can't. And so there's reality as well. I mean, you know, this is not about saying, this is not like the secret. You just go out there and say you want it and it's going to all drop in your lap. (laughs) You know, this is taking some... You have to to take the steps. It's very deliberate. Yes, exactly. It is very deliberate. There's action here. Um, And I like the idea because we we talk in property parlance, we talk about compromises, right? People very rarely get everything they want. Um, But it's also about setting your expectations, your non-negotiables. You would have to say in the context of actually what's available, right? Absolutely. You can't go, I want a waterfront, but I've only got $200,000 to spend. Well, you know, you can have a waterfront (laughs) with 200 grand, just not in Sydney. Not in Sydney, exactly. (laughs) But again, that's what Mm. I say to people. I say, if you want that, you can create that. Yes, yeah. But it's not necessarily all of those criteria are going to match. Mm. And you know, again, I challenge people all the time. I say, but you know that. Mm. So how come you're doing the the wishful thinking? Yeah. wishful thinking is, oh, because I want it so much. So then what happens is we get, exactly, we get emotionally attached Mm. and that is the, probably the worst thing you can do when buying anything. Yes. Is to become emotionally attached. Thank you to all the listeners who have given us a review. We really appreciate it. But what we really love is that it helps us to spread the word and help more people make better property decisions. I just want to share with you a review that we got on iTunes. And thank you so much for this person who reviewed us. And this is it. The variety of insights are great. It's demystifying many aspects of the overall industry and property buying process. And love the Dumbo of the week. Cautionary tales for sure. And that's the sort of review that we obviously love because it shows that we're expanding your thinking. And that's what we're all about here. So please, if you have had your thinking expanded by the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a review. It does help others learn about what they'll get from listening.
Do our negative emotions drive us more than our positive emotions? Okay, so there's no such thing as a negative emotion or a positive emotion. There's just emotion. <laughs> and feelings are just feelings. They're not mm. negative or positive. Anger is no better or worse than happiness. Mm. It's just a feeling. Yeah. And yet we do this negative positive because we've got this whole paradigm around feelings that says, you know, be happy. Don't let anybody see that you're upset, that you're worried, that you're scared, particularly as we grow older mm. and we get more mature. But I guess the feelings that drive us more back to our, our enigma, can you say it? It's our, you know, obviously our first brain, whatever that is. Enigma, isn't it? Um, enigma. You're me, you've read more than I we're obviously am. Gonna cut, we're gonna, obviously going to cut all that out. But, um, we may not. You know, but, you know, the, you know I guess our, our, you know, our survival instinct, you know, is, is, you know, our fear factor and, you know, do or die, fight or flight. And these emotions, you know, really just kind of wipe out, we go fuzzy and we just go for Absolutely. For when, we we, when, when we're in high or it's a high state of arousal, fight, flight, uh, we're, not, we're not connected with our knowing. We're just in automatic mm. get away from here or punch your way out of this situation. Mm. That's the real wounded child coming to the fore, I say. Yeah. Um, people are driven by, um, by lots of things. But the emotional drivers that we have, we either want to get away from it or we want to move toward it. Mm. But we have a very low tolerance for joy. Most of us are much more comfortable with, with anxiety and worry and stress wow. than we are with joy. Yeah. People who get too joyful. I was talking to someone yesterday who said, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm just mm. wondering when everything's going to turn to custard because surely it will. So you're not really mm. enjoying it then, are and you? I went, no. And I went, oh, yeah. I said, I know that one. I said, I suggest you just be here now and... And if it turns to custard in the next minute, well, then you can deal with it then. Yeah. But um, just back to your point about negative emotion, because people do that a lot and they want to stop the negative emotion or not acknowledge it mm. or um, hide it or fade it or, you know, ignore it. And I it. go, and then it just comes back louder mm. and louder and louder. Because one of the things that happens in our body, in our physiology, is affected by our psychology. Yes. So our emotional state impacts our physical well-being. And not allowing the release of anger or not allowing the release of sadness is, is impactful on the body, just like not allowing the release of happiness. So when you said around, uh, Veronica touched on it before, around the secret and laws of attraction, um, and, you know, you can create the life you want if you, you know, visualise it. You know, do you think that's important when people are making big decisions that they've already taken, you know, steps previously to really think clearly about, you know, where they want to go and actually have visualised it? Well, they can, but there's, again, there's so much more to that distinction that you can create the life you want. And in my world and in my paradigm, I assert that I create the whole of my own reality. So what I'm experiencing now, I've already created. The fact that I've created a lot of it without consciousness, without awareness, the fact that I didn't sit here cognitively saying to you, I'm going to create um, a car accident tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> I have a car accident tomorrow. I go, well, I'm the cause of my reality. So how do I, what, what's going on for me that that happened? Mm. I hope you don't, by the way. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I've had only one um, car accident in my life where I hit someone. And I remembered when I was doing my training and learning about feelings and emotions and I was, before I did all this. Uh, my trainer said to me, had you been feeling angry leading up to that, that car accident? And I said, yeah, a little bit. She said, have you ever wanted to hit somebody? <laughs> I said, yeah, a little bit. She said, well, there you go. Wow. Oh. And I remember that going, 
And at the time I was like, oh, don't be ridiculous. It was just a car accident, you know. It was just a momentary. Mm. But as I've gone through life and looked at it, I've gone, wow, I like to think about what is my responsibility here for this outcome? How is it that I got this thing to happen? Mm. So when The Secret came out and people were going, oh, wow, so you just sit there and you just say, I want it, and it shows <laughs> yes. up. Mm. And I go, yeah, sometimes it does. That's mm. true. Mm. People, Everyone I know has had that experience yeah. of choosing something and have it turn up. Mm. People do it with parking spots all the time, yeah. don't yeah. they? Yeah, I'm pretty good at it, actually. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that's missing is I've most... I've never read The Secret, by the way. <laughs> Most of us don't want to take responsibility for the stuff that shows up we don't like. Yeah. We only want to take responsibility mm. for the positive. And the negative we go, no, not me. And I go, well, it doesn't make any sense because either you cause it all or you cause nothing. Yeah. You can't cause a little bit of your life. And so where does self-sabotage come in, comes into this then? Because, you know, a lot of the decisions we make, you know, we unconsciously make the Wrong decision, mm. eating, exercise. Well, I don't think we make wrong decisions. I just think we make decisions. Mm. So again, we'll in my world, decisions that don't serve us. Maybe we can say, well, frame they do. It that way. But the, no, they do oh, serve us. It's yeah. just how is that serving me? Mm. Given that we all know about nutrition and exercise, although if you've been around as long as me, how many food pyramids have I seen in my lifetime? Correct, yeah. <laughs> well, they're all built by uh, agricultural companies anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, we do know. We do know the right choices to make, if you like, mm. and yet we keep making the choices we make. So I mm. go, so what's the loving intent behind choosing to overeat or choosing to stay in bed all day or choosing to, you know, go and spend your money frivolously or whatever? Mm. These supposedly wrong or negative, I'm putting that in quotes, by the way, because I don't believe in, in my paradigm, right and wrong is just context dependent. Mm. So I go, so what's driving that? And what's the loving intent? And if you respond to that part of you with love rather than hostility, anger, judgmental. fear, judgment, yeah. pushback, then you have an opportunity to make a different choice. Mm. I guess it's just a, what drives wishful thinking is probably, you know, it's just self-sabotage a lot. You know, it's like it's it's saying, well, I probably know that I need to do more due diligence. I know I probably, you know, I'm feeling a little bit in my gut that this isn't right. Or I know that I'm just kind of just going ahead with it because my friend told me to do it. But they, they, they still go ahead and do it. You so, know? Because that little kid that was going, but I want it, I want it, I want yeah. it. Yeah. So it does come back to that because I don't feel good enough. It's filling a hole, whatever. Mm. That to me is the, that's the gold standard. And that's I say to all my, you know, I do a lot of work with coaches and train a lot of coaches today. And I say to them, you know, if you want the shortcut, just look for the not good enough because it's always going to be driving yeah. the behaviour that people say they don't want or the outcomes people don't want. It's the not good enough stuff that's driving it. And the opportunity is, it's not a bad thing. I don't, I'm also not a fan of self-sabotage. We, we've got so much judgment around. Mm. We, everybody thinks we should be perfect, and I would like to assert you already are, We're just perfectly <laughs> imperfect human being. And being a messy human is the gig. We didn't come here to be happy all the time. And it's so much we nicer didn't... talking to someone who's slightly imperfect. Like <laughs> someone who's perfect, they're friggin' annoying. Uh, well, but they're not. There is no such thing. In, in... <laughs> oh, now I'm going to get tired of not having this conversation. I can see it. I know. But see, perfect is, my definition yeah. of perfect is that things are the way they are and are not the way they are not. You're perfectly you. So but the imperfect. Perfection, the imperfection yeah. is what drives a lot of people to want to make it look perfect, make it be perfect. I have this house 
or this apartment or if I can get this property or mm. if I can, yeah. then, then that'll be, I can have this perfect life. Yeah, I think the whole wealth, wealth is, you know, yeah. the, the reason I re- rebranded my company name actually because it was called Canopy Private and um, it was a, I love animals and, you know, I love the rainforest. There's canopies like covering everything. It was a bit of a crazy name that you start when you start a business. So, um, but then I was thinking like, what does I, what do I really want my company name to represent? And I changed it to Wealthful. Now, and people think, well, what's that really about? And my whole philosophy came from is that we're already wealthy, right? It's just that, you know, we're already wealthful. You know, you don't need money to be wealthful. You know, it's just, you know, you're you're wealthy based on, you know, you've got your health, you know, you can walk around, you know, and kind of expand the definition of wealth. And, you know, I guess it's the same as what you're kind of saying is here, you know, is, you know, we're not perfect, but we already are kind of perfect. You know That's what I mean? You're, you are perfect. You're perfectly you. Mm. And wealthful, I love that because the truth is I am enough, I have enough, there is enough. Mm. What we lack is the will to share. What we are not aware of is that I'm okay. There's nothing. I Mm. don't need anything to be better. I can't be better. I can do better if you like, but I can't be better. I can just be me. And in this country particularly, I mean, we live in a country where we have the most glorious lifestyle. I won the lottery. Yeah. (laughs) We are are the clever country. Mm. We are the lucky country in the sense that we have good economic growth. We have good social services. You know, we don't have a lot to complain about. But would you know it, listening to our leaders, listening to the news, the 24-7 media cycle, like this, the fear paradigm, as I call it, it's just running the show. And I say to most people, wake up and ask yourself, what's going on for me? Mm. Stop, stop the noise out there and go, what, what's going on for me? I am enough. I have enough. There is enough. Now, what is it I really want? Mm. Because often when you ask that question from that place of accepting that you're okay and you are enough, your choices change. Yeah. When it comes to property, there's, there's so much where this is really important. Um, when you're buying your own home, it's what you choose for your home, you know, and what you give up on because you don't think you're good enough or what you push or extra because you don't think you're good enough or, you know, there's, there's all of that, right? And then there's the investment side of things where people are constantly chasing more, 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 more or, or whatever. And look, I'm, I am an advocate for a healthy bank balance. You know, I'm an sure. advocate for good, Me too. solid, you know, I don't want financial problems. I want abundance and, and the freedom that comes with that to do lots of different things, right? And so I'm an absolute advocate. There's nothing wrong about wealth. In, in my in my world, no. right? It's what people do with it. It's what individuals, blah, blah, blah. What, where it comes down to this idea of, you know, there's no right or wrong, we are perfectly imperfect, all that sort of stuff. The reality is that people do make property decisions which have high consequences. Yes. And it causes them pain if they've, yes. if they've made it for the wrong reasons effectively. Yeah. And quite often it doesn't give them joy, even if they've made, even if they've made good decisions, if they've not really made them for the right reasons, you know, they just made good decisions. It doesn't necessarily give them particular joy or that even that lovely sense of security that you can get, you know, when you've made good decisions for the right reasons. And and I'm careful about using the word right and wrong, that sort of stuff. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) It's the pain that we see that yes. that people suffer. They do. And they put themselves through this. And it comes from way back when, when they actually made the decisions in the first place for all these, these really inadequate reasons. So what know? I say to those people is, is 
if you're going to make your choice out of the not good enough stuff, out of your own pain, your own mm. inner child, that wounded three-year-old, if that's where you're going to make your choice from because you're afraid to feel that stuff, guess mm. what? You're going to feel it anyway, just on the other Worse. end. Only now <laughs> you're going to have a great big debt as well <laughs> and, and a whole lot more financial stress. Wow. The thing mm. around money and wealth and abundance and the secret, you know, really just rammed home, you know, you can have, because most people think if I just had enough money, I'd mm. be okay. Mm. But trust me, I know a lot of people who have a lot of wealth mm. who are so miserable and in pain yep. and scared. Maybe it's not a guarantee. No. Maybe, yeah. 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 I mean, it's the law of diminishing value, right? Like if you've got a car, you've got a car, like it could go faster. You know, if you've got a house, it could be bigger. But end of the day, you're still getting a lot of the intangible benefits of the ownership or the ability to, you know, do those things. And what happens is if it gets bigger, you don't get that same, you know, value uplift. Uh, and it usually comes with something, you know. So that's that's where a lot of, you know, the money kind of, problems start is when you chase more, you have to give up something for it. And that can actually be bigger than mm. the actual benefit of what you get out of it. And so you end up this vicious cycle where you're constantly trying to replace what you're losing and you're, um, yeah, it's just, you just never ending. That's it. And, uh, yeah, so I, I get, I get that. Filling know, up a holy bucket. It, it, yeah. Well, it, and it, and it, and it doesn't work. And mm. I'm thinking about, um, I had bought a second property uh, nearly three years ago because um, I wanted to find um, a solution to a, a family problem where one of my family members really needed somewhere to live where they couldn't be evicted and there's some issues going on and the whole family was kind of in stress about this. And I went, well, I actually am in a position I could buy and I've always wanted to own a house. I, in Sydney, I live in a duplex, but I've always wanted to own a house. I've always wanted to have a house with mm. a garden and, you know, and um, I love Southern Highlands, so I went down and, again, same thing, saw this house and went, yep, that's it. And someone said to me um, a few weeks ago, so, you know, when are you going to buy another property? And I went, oh, probably not. I don't, A, I don't want, I don't need one. But surely, Lonnie, like you can leverage the investment here. And, you know, and I said, you know what, I actually have enough. Mm. And for me, that's actually the key mm. to wealth and abundance is for my choice is not a number. It's that I have enough to do all the things that I want to do. Yep. Mm. That's it. Yeah. I remember a client, you know, still a client now, and they came to me three or four years ago now. And, um, yeah, we looked at their situation and they could retire and they were like, well, not retire, but stop working. And they're in their forties and they're still working though. And we could have gone and bought, you know, more property. And, um, when we ran the numbers, they didn't really need to. And, you know, we just had an honest conversation and said, do you really want this or not? And they said, well, no. And they didn't. So, you know, financially, Potentially they could have, you know, and they, and et cetera, but mm. you know, that wasn't the right decision for them. And I think that's comes back to the decision. It's not, we don't all need to be going and buying and leveraging no. and uh, just keep on buying. It's just a case of doing what's right for you. And I think that's often forgot is just, you need to keep buying. You need to keep buying. Well, episode 39, we interviewed financial planner, Stuart Weems. And, you know, he said, look, really, it's very rare that he's got any clients that own more than two investment properties, you know, so there's not this sort of five or more, you need this number. It's about quality and it's about the decisions around where, you know, what do you want in life? You know, where do you want to be? You know, at what age do you want to sort of slow down and, and, and maybe have some flexibility, do different things? And what does that look like? How much are you going to need for that? Plan for that. And let's not get greedy. You know, it's a lovely way to be. Well, I, the question I ask people is, you know, I get the, I challenge people around, 
ask yourself how much is enough for you. And most people, it really sends them into a spin. Because <laughs> if you haven't dealt with that not good enough stuff inside you, there's never enough. Mm. I mean, J. Paul Getty, who was the richest man the world has ever seen. Oh, yeah. Um, did you see that movie? Haven't um, yet, but I've saw oh, the shorts Oh, my of it goodness. Like, oh, There's one line in the movie where he's bought this incredible bit of artwork, uh, millions and millions of dollars, and his aide says to him, wow, you've, you've done it. You know, you've got that there's never, there'll never be. And I thought, <laughs> this is a man who, no matter what he did, he, his sense of not good enough was oh. so pervasive that it didn't matter how much money he had. Mm. And, in fact, he set his whole life up so he couldn't actually spend money. Mm. Everything was so invest, all his investments, all his trusts, all his financial uh, wrangling that he did so he didn't have to pay any income tax mm. meant mm. he also couldn't spend money, which is why he invested so heavily in art, which gave us the fabulous Getty Centre in LA, and I bless him for that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's uh, keeping up with the Joneses kind of, you know, that we, we have, and that's probably a personal, you know, vendetta or a personal belief or something. And that, that happens a lot with money as well. You know, it's, uh, you know, the neighbours have got this or my friends mm. have moved here and, you know, and it's uh, external factors are driving your internal decisions. Yeah. And, um, not enough, you know, and not enough, if, not enough. Yeah. If we sit there and that, think about it? it, we, you know, we probably can, you know, can sit there with our partner and talk about it and go, are we doing this for us or are we doing it for someone else? And, you know, I guess that's a, a probably a good question that we could ask ourselves. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Lorna, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I've, you know, I've alluded to a property dumbo, but I do have one, one example, which is quite small, but a friend of mine bought an investment property uh, because, you know, that's what she was advised to do, mm-hmm. even though she actually didn't want to. Yeah. Mm. But she didn't feel okay about saying, no, this is all in hindsight, of course. At yeah, the time, yeah. she's like, she was so scared. Uh, and she bought this property and it was just a nightmare. Mm. It was a nightmare of an investment for her, but she had ongoing maintenance issues. She had terrible tenants. I mean, it was just, and then she wanted to sell it. Mm. Mm. And she had a lot of trouble selling it because yep. of all the issues in the block and the tenants and yep. the history and yep. the everything else. And it ended up costing her quite a lot of money. And after debriefing with her, um, you know, talking to her about it, and she said to me, well, if I'd paid attention to that niggle, that feeling yep. inside, um, I wouldn't have, mm. I probably wouldn't have gone ahead. She said, although everything in my upbringing told me I should. Mm. Wow. She said, so that's a really strong. So she had the other way around. With yeah. the, the upbringing was encouraging her to buy a property. Because yeah. it's like, Even though she knew that, yeah. that it wasn't the right thing for her. Interestingly enough, when I went to buy um, my second property um, and I told her that I was doing that and why I was doing it, she went off her head. She said to me, you're insane. This is going to be a disaster. You can't do this. You can't do this just to help this family member because they're not going to help you and you're just going to yep. end up out of pocket. And, and she went on this kind of rant. Mm. And I remember saying to her afterwards, because I was like a bit shocked and then I just settled with it. And then I thanked her. I said, thank you, because that's part of my unconscious mind on loudspeaker, you've just shown me. Because <laughs> I have a part of me that thinks I'm insane yeah, and yeah. thinks it could go pear-shaped. 
but thank you. So now I'll do my due diligence around worst case scenario. Yep. There's yeah. no rent. My, this person doesn't pay me any yeah. rent and, and I have to pay for everything. Mm. And so I went and I did my numbers and I talked to my broker and worked out that if I didn't get any income from the property, I could still afford to buy it. And that's interesting too because, you know, we often talk about exit strategy for argument's sake or, or contingencies, you know, because the reality is the world does do stuff happens, you know, and, and it's how you respond to that and it's what all that wishful thinking you had built into whatever the, the rosy the rosy picture of you helping the family and how they were all going to love you. And, I mean, you know, maybe there's a bit of that in there, I don't know, but, but you know, People don't follow the script. You know, we've got our script in our head about how things should work and other people don't necessarily play their part in the way that, you know, like I'm the director and I'm sorry you're not as an actor in my, in my, <laughs> in my own story, you're not doing your job. And I think it's really important to consider all of those things, certainly before buying a property. We do talk about, you know, not, not so much with owner-occupiers but certainly with investors Definitely with developers as well, exit strategy mm. and, and understanding contingencies. Absolutely. And it wasn't just altruistic. It wasn't just, you know, doing a nice thing for the family. Mm. I mean, for me, it was also about it's got to be a smart financial decision. Yeah. Yep. It's got to be in a place that I want to own a property, mm. not just anywhere. Um, it had to meet criteria as an investor for me yep. that there was going to be some mm. capital growth in the area over the next five years. Mm. So I did all had a look at all of that. Yep. But the bottom line was... If something happened to the Sydney property market or if I had to leave Sydney, could I come, would mm. I come here? Mm. Is this yeah. a place I, I would want to live? Because yeah. for me, it wasn't just pure investment for capital gain. Mm. It was also um, yeah. lifestyle. So all of those questions. So I, you know, people ask me why I bought the house. I go, well, there are two reasons. One is family, mm. supporting the family. Mm. But the other one was, this is my, also my vision for 10 years' time. Yep. I want to build a retirement community in this area. Yeah. <laughs> a commune, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> for me and my <laughs> mates. <a> <laughs> and this could be the, the seed capital for that. So, mm. you know, I did have my own reasons for doing it because, yeah, I don't think it's a really good idea to be buying property for someone else. No, yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. disingenuous as far yeah. as I'm concerned. I mean, that's brilliant really because, I mean, it's so true. Like if you feel like it's not right for you and you shouldn't be going ahead, don't go ahead. Like, Absolutely. You know, and, yeah, but the other side of the coin that. is don't just stop your journey there. That might just be the wrong property. It might just be yeah. the right, wrong amount. Mm. You might be taking out too much debt. You might be doing something that's just not fitting in your life plan. Um, it might be a reason like that. It could just be that, you know, and so – yeah, I guess if you are feeling like that, don't sign the contract. You know, there, there's always opportunities. And I always love to say that to clients when clients will come to me and, you know, I've got this amazing opportunity. There's this property and it's cheap or I, I'm a real estate agent and I can get it cheaper. There's all these stories that, you know, reason oh. that people justify why they're doing something. Mm. Um, but And, you know, in that scenario, you've kind of got to just go, well, look, it doesn't matter if I miss out on this one. That's well, fine. no, exactly. Um, I just, you just reminded me too that um, the notion of what I can have and what I can't have is up to me. But if I don't believe that I can buy a property, and that was certainly where I was sitting before I bought um, the place I live in here in Sydney, I never believed I would ever have enough money to buy a yep. property, not in Sydney. And I became aware that that was my belief system. And I went, well, Lorna, as long as you're thinking that way, guess what? You're, ne you're going to be well, right. Of course it's limiting. So well, how you're about not even going to try, are you? How about you change your mind about mm. that? So I did some work and did some belief changing and, you know, got clear. And then suddenly the possibility of buying property was, it was a suddenly, it was a possibility. And then it was about, well, do I choose to do it or not? And I went, yeah, that could be really cool. 
I'd, I'd like to own a property. So that was the the shift that I made. But the wishful thinking part is people who don't don't believe they can, but they want to, so they're going to anyway, yeah. Yeah. even though everything in them is going, oh, you're not ready. Yeah. And I say to people, if you're not ready, what do you need to do to get ready? Yeah. Because it yeah. doesn't mean you'll yep. never be ready. No. Yeah. It just means if you're not ready now, don't be making a decision yeah. from not ready because guess what? You are going to pay through the nose. And that's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's the consequences of not just taking your time, getting it right, checking in with yourself, making sure that you are on the right track. And like a first home buyer, for instance, you know, a lot of them are saying, oh, I'll never be able to afford to buy in Sydney. Was that yeah, absolutely right? The self, self-fulfilling belief, that one. Mm. If, you, if that's the way you think, you're never actually going to take the actions that are required in order to get you in a position where you can buy a property. And so therefore, you're right, you'll never afford a property in Sydney. But if you decide, well, I'm going to, I'm going to change my thinking around that. I'm going to look into what I need to do in order to afford. What are the options? Can I save? Can I invest? Can I? What's the steps that I could take? then you're going to have a very, very different outcome than if you start off thinking you can't do it. So, uh, and it's not wishful thinking in the sense that no, it's very practical. It's about actually telling the truth. Yeah. We're back to that ah, piece again. Ah, nice circle. <laughs> so um, a friend of mine back in the early 80s um, wa- wanted to enter the property market and, so, and, and at that time prices were starting to rise but interest rates mm. were, just went through, just became nutso. Yes. So you know what he did? And I just, I always think, wow, it was so cool that he did this. He bought a garage. He bought a domestic garage. A garage. A garage. <laughs> and he bought it for $8,000 or $9,000. Probably worth a And of, that you know, was his. hundred thousand now. <laughs> but that was his entry into the property market in mm-hmm. Sydney. Did he then buy the house? Yeah. But, <laughs> well, no, but about three yep. years later when interest rate, oh, because it was in the late 80s that he bought the garage. So early 90s, after the recession had sort of calmed down, interest rates came down mm-hmm. and property prices started to um, come down a bit. He then, he sold it and he made a profit and he bought a little unit mm. with the profit he made on that. And I remember everybody saying to him at the time, don't be, you can't live in a garage. He said, I'm not going to live there. I'm going to rent it out. I'm going to earn some money. Mm. But he said, I've, I own property in Sydney. And he said, I could walk around saying, I own property in Sydney. <laughs> and I just thought that was <laughs> majorly cool because most people are thinking the mansion on the water. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to what if I bought a garage in, uh, you know. Yeah. Pretty cool actually. But I don't think the banks would lend you money to buy a garage no, now. No, it has but to be it's, cash, but that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah, okay. yeah, I don't know. Someone just investment. got money to buy a parking yeah. space in Kirribilli. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A marked space on a street in Kirribilli. Yeah. They and paid yeah, a lot, 200,000 or something, was it? Yeah, yeah. It's a scarce oh. resource. You know, that comes with the principle of property <laughs> investing is oh. go for scarcity. And parking in Kirribilli is extremely scarce. It is. Yeah, it's, you know, there is so much in this. And, and these are big uh, impact decisions in our lives, um, property and everything to do with it. And I think it's really interesting to go back and really question, what do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about what we're entitled to? What we, What do we believe about you know, I guess the possibilities and, and examining that. I know I've done that in my own life for various different things and it isn't, it isn't um, easy. Um, and before you need to, as in before you're actually suffering pain, which is usually what prompts people to go through this journey, you know, you get to a point where for me personally, it was like the pain became to a point that I didn't want to deal with the pain anymore. So therefore I had no choice but to look inside and go, what's the source of this pain? That's often what propels people to do that. Yeah. And unfortunately what it means is that 
and with the, particularly with property, because the costs are so massive for getting it wrong, that that it's really worthwhile examining this before you feel pain, you know, <laughs> to be aware that you are susceptible to making bad mistakes. Now that the market has really slowed down and people are suddenly thinking, oh, oh, you know, Sydney property, Melbourne property and, you know, parts of Australia where they've been thinking that for years. Perth, Perth property owners have been thinking this for years, you know. They're thinking... Oh, it doesn't all go up. Oh, oh, maybe I made a mistake. Some of these very uncomfortable thinking is starting to creep into people's minds and hearts and conversations. And it's better to have this thinking before you buy the property, mm. not after, because you're trapped. But even if you are in that scenario now, um, it's not too late. You know, it's not too late to reframe your thinking, mm. to kind of forgive yourself, yeah. to kind of say, look, in hindsight, I could have known this, and I, but I didn't. Uh, I do now. But what do I know now? Exactly. Yes. That's yes. what I'd say. And What's happening now? What mm. do I know now? And I can take action on it now. But, you That's know, right. I think the longer you delay that kind of process, um, if you know and you're not acting on it, then you're just creating even more problems. And so, That's it. And a lot um, of people, what that's what happens, though, because of the not good enough stuff is they know but they don't want to be seen to have made a mistake, so they're going to keep pretending it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the hole just gets deeper. But the problem is everyone even knows you've already made a mistake anyway, so it's like you're trying to keep... It's, that's a classic elephant in the room, isn't it? Everyone yeah. actually knows the truth, but no one's going to say the truth. That's it. That's I it. Don't mention the war. I, didn't I won't once... tell you what I can see if you don't tell me what you can see. <laughs> yeah. and we'll all pretend it's not happening. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> No, and then someone goes, but the emperor's got no clothes on. I just thought you'd like to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, look, on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Lorna. This has been really good. I'm Pleasure. so happy we've done an episode on wishful thinking. Uh, this is going to be one of the ones that we refer to back to, back to, back to over and over again because it is so important, so important that we get it right. And, you know, back to saying right and wrong, but, you know, it's get it right for ourselves so that we can actually be kind to ourselves, we can make make good decisions that we can rely on and be confident in and not have to agonise over and just get on with life. Absolutely. For me, the, the, the real reframe around the right-wrong stuff in terms of decision-making is, am I satisfied with this? Does that satisfy me, that decision? Mm. And if there's a niggle, as I say to people, pay attention to what you're thinking, pay attention and as a result what you're feeling and then get connected with what you know. And if they're not in line... Get them in line yeah. before you make yeah. a decision. Yeah. yeah. And if you have done it, you guys deal with it then, isn't it? That's yeah. it. Deal with you it. Know. And and have the courage to go, you know, I really want this, but there's something in me saying it's not right. Have the courage to explore that because yeah. you'll save yourself a lot of pain, heartache, and in the property space, money in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, I guess probably just end on a quote that I love is that um, you know, learn from the mistakes of others. You know, you don't have to do these big mm. mistakes. You don't have to, you know, go on this journey in life and just, you know, you know, wing it basically and see what happens. Um, you know, there are people out there that, you know, have gone that journey before you and, you know, the evidence is all there a lot of the time. So, you know, learn from the mistakes of others is probably a big point. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Thank your time. You. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... I think I'd really like to have a bit of a chat with you about digging into this idea of following the niggle, <laughs> chasing the niggle. Lorna talked about that little feeling inside we have when we know something's not quite right for us. And, and we do want to draw that distinction and remind you that it is normal to feel anxious when you're buying a property. That bit's normal. 
if you've actually done all this sort of pre-work and you're really clear about what it is you want to achieve, the big picture and all that sort of thing, and you've really looked and you're not buying with your three-year-old mind and neediness and all that sort of stuff, but if it's a really good decision for you, you're still going to feel some anxiety around that because it's a big commitment. There's a lot of money involved and the stakes are high. If, however, you feel this little niggle and that's that seed of doubt because fundamentally deep down within yourself, you know it's not really the right thing or you're not necessarily doing it for reasons that will really serve you well or you're thinking more about what it looks like to other people or it's someone else's idea, not your idea or there's lots of little niggles that we might have or, you know, you're rushing it and you feel rushed because, you know, the agent's putting pressure on you for argument's sake or a spruker's putting pressure on you and here's the flag here. If, you, if you're dealing with a spruker, don't buy the property. Um, but those little niggles... You know, they're there to be listened to. I mean, they're, they're fundamentally, it's, if you're feeling it, you need to have that conversation, you know, and if you're buying with your partner in, in, or if you're buying by yourself, you need someone there to be that sounding board to actually just, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? Talk it through because, you know, once you bought the property, you can't then say, look, I didn't really think we should buy this property because, you know, I didn't like the layout or I didn't like the light. And, you know, that little niggle was probably telling you need to talk about something. And, you know, even though emotional is highly stressful, you know, you will have the ups and downs in relationships before buying. Um, it's highly emotional. You're better off having those fights and those, you know, discussions. Before um, you commit. <laughs> before you commit. Um, those niggles are there. If, if it, those niggles are there, um, because you just don't feel comfortable with the process or you're not feeling comfortable with the debt or you're not feeling comfortable, you know, it's all happening very fast, that's probably okay. You just need to talk about it and get comfortable with it and then you can move forward. But, you know, sometimes those niggles are those, that's the insight to allow you to actually make a better decision and maybe avoid making a big mistake. And interestingly enough, we see this a bit with couples in that quite often you might have one who's more dominant, more forceful, in terms of their opinions and their, you know, they may be the one that's done all the research as well and the other one's sort of yeah. going along with, for the ride. But, and it's a bit difficult because you've got that inequality in terms of, um, in terms of effort that's been put in. Sometimes yeah. there's an inequality in terms of money. Uh, sometimes there's inequality in terms of just pure desire to own a property. And so all this stuff really does need to be fleshed out and teased out beforehand because the passive person in these situations often can turn into the saboteur. Um, also, it can cause damage to relationships down the track if it doesn't go well, because that person will be looking to the other person to say, well, actually you made the decisions and, and I really wasn't part of that. And so this comes back to this idea of taking responsibility, right? All of us need to take responsibility for our decisions. And if you're in a couple, in a relationship, you both need to speak up. You both need to be honest and talk about the truth. A hundred percent. And if you're the person who is doing the effort and your other person is doing the research and you are putting more money in, don't forget the other party, you know, get them at the table, even though they might only be paying a little, you know, a smaller portion or they're not making it as if that's not good enough. You need to both be on this decision together because, you know, you need to hear what they want to say. You know, you need to hear what they feel and, you know, to make sure you are both making the right decision because um, making the proper decision for both of you without actually you both making that decision um, is only going to most likely end in tears. So, And it's funny, if you have ever watched, the, you know, the show Location, Location, Location Australia or Relocation, Relocation Australia that, that Bryce and I both uh, host on Foxtel, 
it comes up as a bit of a theme because it's good for television, this sort of stress and tension between a couple in terms of one wants one thing and the other ones wants something different. So it's good television and some of those journeys, some of those uh, actual couples that we've helped, you can see that very clearly in the show. And certainly in my business, when we go through this process with couples, we, at the very beginning of searching for a property, we get them both to write their wish list separately. No collaboration, no compromising, nothing. We want to know exactly everything that each party wants in a property. And then we start the process of working out, well, what is possible? But if you, if you have them trying to negotiate beforehand, they're trying, sometimes trying to second guess each other and sometimes trying to be nice to each other and sometimes not, <laughs> mm. um, that can distort the whole mm. search. So it's really, really important to get that out early on in the process. Please join us for our next episode, which is the second half of our interview with Bryce Holdaway. The first half, we talked about why people want to escape the city, and this one is all about property spruikers. I love it when Bryce gets worked up, and we had a great little chat all about this. So tune in and listen to what we've got to say. The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk and edited by Gordy Fletcher. And thank you so much for joining us and letting us your eardrums throughout 2018. We've absolutely enjoyed bringing everything to you. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for your messages. Thank you for your reviews. And we're looking forward to more and better in 2019. And I second that. It's been an amazing year and we do appreciate every single one of our listeners for supporting us. We can't wait to bring you some even better content in 2019. A Merry Christmas from us both. And a Happy New Year. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.